This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Houston, we have a podcast. You're listening to the Premier Rockets Podcast. It's H-Town Hoops. Hosted by Brandon Scott and Adam Spolane. That's right. This is the H-Town Hoops Podcast. I am Brandon Scott here with Adam Spillane. Austin Mendez is producing this thing for us. And this episode is going to be a little bit different. You know, normally we cover the Rockets and we're going to do that. We're going to start the show with that. But this is going to be an episode more centered around the ncaa tournament it is ncaa tournament time it's finally here i never know what the rules are exactly on whether you can say march madness and final four if that's just advertising that people doing content and like something more adjacent to journalism can use it or whatever but i'm going to go ahead and say that i'm glad that march madness is here and you know forgive me anybody who uh, uh who doesn't want that uh <laughs> who doesn't want that term used but we're here and we're going to get into a couple of March Madness NCAA tournament related topics. Uh, the University of Houston Cougars are a number one seed. So since this is the H-Town Who's podcast, we're going to give them a little bit of attention and get through uh, some of the biggest storylines in the NCAA tournament. But we know what you're here for. It is a Rockets podcast, first and foremost, and primarily the Houston Rockets are coming off of a win against the Boston Celtics, a legitimate title contender um you know they 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 won one uh, i'm sorry 111 to 109 on monday night at toyota center and it was a really good day aside from the win but just what you got from the young guys i thought was a just a huge thing and obviously it's a it's a super young team but you know alpern shingoon's unable to play in the game uh groin injury i believe it is and it, it, it puts Tar Eason into the starting lineup um, and bumps uh, and it bumps Jabari Smith Jr. up to the to the five. And you ended up getting really good games from some of your cornerstone pieces. And so we want to react to that. Adam, you were there. You were at the game, covered the game, obviously uh, talked to a lot of the key figures after it. Uh, but I would imagine before and after. Um, so what were some of your key takeaways from this latest Rockets win? Well, I guess, I guess the big thing is playing small and, and you've seen them start to go in this direction a little bit more just over really the last six weeks to, you know, or the last month to six weeks where they'll have Jabari Smith Jr. guarding centers and, and Boston's a little bit different because they don't have necessarily the traditional, you know, big center. They're starting Al Horford down there uh, yesterday and they, and they play small uh, to begin with. 
but you see just how different the spacing is when Jabari Smith is out there and he's shooting the ball well right now, which is also a big key. Um, third straight 20 and 10 game for him. First time, I believe it's the first time a teenager has has gone for 20 and 10 in three straight games, six straight uh, double digit scoring games for him. He made his first five threes yesterday uh, and he's he's just shooting the ball really, really well right now. But playing small, I think, is something that it's interesting. And I, I do think we're going to see it more because uh, it allows them – we've talked about this a lot, but it allows them to do a little bit more defensively. Uh, just, you know, they can be a little more diverse in their schemes. But it, it's not to say that Alperin Shingun can't be part of the team's future because that's that's not the case at all. But you have seen them just more recently. They'll try and hide Shingun on a wing, uh, on, a weak, on a weaker wing. And, and I do think that – uh, Jabari has shown that he can probably handle playing center a little bit more. And if you get the right matchup, then you stick Shingun on a wing and you see if you can make that work defensively. Because, you know, I, I see a lot about all well, the Rockets play drop, only play drop coverage with Shingun. They could do more. I mean, maybe they could. I, I don't know if they could do more. I don't think that ultimately they want to play drop coverage as much as they as they wound up having to do this season. But I don't think that they feel comfortable enough with Shingun being involved in actions, having him switch or having him blitz. And, and so, that's just kind of the direction that they have just kind of stuck with defensively at this point. So Jabari Smith. Let me me add one more thing too. Um, The poise, the poise that they showed in crunch time last night, I think was really important step for them. um, Because they haven't done that. No. And Steven Silas even brought this up after Saturday's game against the bulls, when they got outscored by 16 in the fourth quarter and all of a sudden an eight point lead is an eight point loss. And they, they remained poised last night. And there were a couple calls that could, that, that went against them that in the past you could have seen them really let that explode and really let them unravel. And the big one was the Marcus smart, um, the foul on, on the free, on the made free throw, which gave Boston a four point play and it got them within two and they didn't unravel after that. They came down, uh, Jalen green made a, a, just executed perfectly, got himself a mid range shot, made it. And all of a sudden it's back to a four point game. And that really turned out to be the difference. So uh, just really impressed with the poise that they showed down the stretch in last night's game. Yeah. Well, since you mentioned Jalen green, let me ask you about him. Cause he didn't shoot the ball great last night, but we've talked about this a lot as well throughout the podcast on different episodes, getting to the free throw line, like a, a not a good, not a good by any stretch, day from the field or night from the field, eight of 29 from the field, uh, but 10 of 11 from the free throw line, two of eight from three, uh, which was the exact opposite with Jabari Smith. Like you mentioned, he hit his first five threes uh, or, or yeah, his first five threes was only uh, missed only one because he went five of six from three and was nine of 11 from the field. Super efficient. Uh, not the case for Jalen, but what I'm seeing here is a certain level of aggressiveness. And like you mentioned, poise as well. Um, and, and it just, it just feels like, I don't know if turning over corner is too much of a, an overreaction because I mean, you, you're kind of dealing with the game to game situation and trying to trying to develop a larger picture of it. But what did you make just more specifically of, of Jalen green as well in a game where he wasn't necessarily efficient, but still seemed to be effective. Yeah, he's dealing with really good defenders, and Boston is a top four defense for a reason, and they kind of showed it yesterday. And he took advantage. You know, you look at just kind of the uh, at, at some of the matchups when he got, you know, when he got isolated against Blake Griffin, he absolutely cooked Blake Griffin. 
but with other guys, he struggled. You know, he struggled when he was as he should, him. as he as he yeah. should, obviously. You're, you're gonna you're gonna struggle when Jalen Brown's defending you. You're gonna struggle when Marcus Smart is defending you. You're gonna struggle, you know, even when Al Horford is defending you. That's that's nothing. You know, that's that's totally normal in, in today's NBA. And uh, but he, I, I think, got off to the great start. 16 points in the first quarter, and then Silas, you know, left him in to take the technical. Uh, to start the second quarter, and you know he's, you know he he didn't put up you know the great shooting numbers after that, but like you said, got to the free throw line, and you know free throws th- those are points too, and drawing fouls get you points, and that helps on the scoreboard. And when you take what what do you say eleven free throws in the game, and you win by two, that sort of stuff matters. You know that's what win game wins games because in the past if he wasn't making shots, he wasn't scoring. Now if he's not making shots, he can at least get to the free throw line and impact the game that way. And if you're getting to the free throw line. And now all of a sudden you have a chance to set your defense and now you're, you know, slowing a team down on the offensive end of the floor. So I, it's only good things getting to the free throw line. So not, not a great statistical game for him, um, but still a good game overall. And he made probably the biggest shot of the game also. Yeah. With Jalen green, just when you watch him and, and just kind of understand what he is as a talent, it, it feels like he should either be, getting he should be getting contested shots in the paint or at the rim on a consistent basis just because of the kind of athlete he is and just because of the kind of speed that he has and he has a good enough handle he should be you know and we've talked before about him needing to improve as a finisher uh, for as athletic as he is and as good as he is uh but but that that is something that i feel like should be expected of him sort of consistently when the shot is not falling that just off of his athleticism and and in that way physical superiority he should be able to get to the basket as as much as he wants or or be able to dictate how he's defended and and be able to draw fouls so um so that's somebody that should live in the paint um when the especially when the shot is not falling real quick though before we get into the ncaa tournament stuff back to the jabari smith alperin shingun uh, obviously alperin shingun was out of this game because of injury but I'm trying to wrap my mind around how how does this situation sort of manifest itself going forward? You know, this season is a wash. You're just trying to get some good morale and get get players, you know, developing good habit, habits or, or at the very least dishing the ones that are not good. Um, but but I am trying to get a better picture for what the five spot is going to look like. You know, we talked more. It felt like during the year about the three man uh the three five man backup rotation then you know what does the future exactly look like at, at the five and we have talked about jabari playing the five but how do you think this works out with like does does shingun ultimately become like sort of a six man or a guy that runs your that runs your second unit or somebody that you could run your second unit through i mean to say or or is this something where they still make sense coexisting together on like a high volume basis, uh, minutes wise. I still think that they can coexist together. Um, I just think offensively, the talent is there and to where they play off each other really well, where, you know, Shingun is the guy who can facilitate an offense and Jabari Smith is a guy who can make shots. And so the, the key is going to be for Shingun is just, can he find guys along the perimeter? Because mostly when he, you know, when he's been passing the assists go to the interior. And I said this yesterday, and I can't remember exactly what the number was, but just 
the the percentage of of his assists have you know i think it was probably like 20 percent. i think i said yesterday it's about 20 percent of his assists uh during the stretch where kevin porter jr was out they were only cut that's where the three pointers were coming from so he needs to probably look along the arc a little bit more um and they've tried to do that with some of the spacing uh when he's in the post the big thing for shingun is going to be defensively i mean that's that's how this that's the only way that this can work and that's that's up to him and this is a big summer for him i think because uh turkey did not make they did not qualify for the world cup so i don't know what his national team commitments will wind up being i don't think there's any sort of other tournament or i don't know if there's any sort of qualifying thing that turkey would have to be in i'm not sure exactly where they stand when it comes to olympic qualifying but if he didn't have national team commitments he needs to be in the gym and he needs to be working on his game. He needs to be working on his body. And it's going to be really important that he does that because I think you saw it last year. He did not come into camp ready. And it just that's just how it was. And he did not have a good preseason. He did not have a good training camp. And that's why he started the season on the bench. And give him credit for taking that the right way uh, and taking that well and using that as, as some motivation. But now – He's got a full summer to really work on himself and he's got to come into camp ready to go. And he's got to show that he's a better mover. He's got to show he's going to work harder really on that end of the floor uh, and do a lot of the little things because you see this far too often with him. He's not even in a defensive stance. A lot of times on the, on the defensive end of the floor, you know, I could show you, and it's not just, and I don't, I don't want to just point him out because I think sometimes it feels like that, you know, we pick on him a little too much, but he's the center. He's the last line of defense, and so you need him to be engaged every single time because he's the guy that's got to call everything out. That's his responsibility. You know, he's the last line of defense just with with your defense. So he's got to show up with the right mindset um, whenever training camp starts. So I, I think it's a really big summer for him. But I do think that the two of them can coexist. There's no reason to think that they can't, and there's no reason to think that they can't have a very good offense with those two on the floor together. It's just a matter of how does it work defensively and, you know, can and it's also on Jabari too. Can Jabari get bigger to where you can put him on centers and he can handle himself physically down low to maybe you know keep Shingu from having to be involved in as many actions as uh, as some teams might want him to be involved in? Yeah, you mentioned the summer for Shingun and how this offseason is going to be such a major and monumental one for him because that that's the reason why the question is there for me or why I asked the question is because because of the defensive stuff we talked about, how they have to hide him and just how how bad it is. And, you know, I for me, I just wonder, I wonder how much you can, like once you're serious, once you become a serious team or, or purport yourself to be a serious team, I wonder how much you want to play a guy like that when you have to hide them defensively or you can't rely on them defensively. And they do, they become much more of a niche type of player. And I, and I don't, I don't want, I don't want that to be the evaluation of him. And that's just, that's just the feeling right now based off of what you've seen defensively. Like, Hey, he's, he does this, you know, but on the other end of the floor, he's a complete liability, you know? So it's like, okay, the world, do you, you know, you've got a guy who can play the position that he plays and can do both things can give you, can contribute to your team, both offensively and not just contribute defensively, but, as he grows and matures could actually be a real difference maker defensively. So it's just a, 
it just it it feels like a like a little bit of a conflict. But I, but I agree with you. Like and certainly offensively, if he can figure things out defensively, then it's money. But certainly offensively, you see how they could play off of each other. Like you mentioned, one guy is great at creating shots and or or, or has a profile of creating shots. The other one has a profile of making shots. So the, and that I, is compatible. Yeah, go ahead. And I will say they think that you can have – you can they, they believe that you can build at least an average defense with Shengun on the floor. So it's okay. not like that they're just going to punt on it. They think that you can – that he can and they can as a group get to the point where they are a league average type of defense. But, again, a lot of that is going to be on not just him but on the individual players, everybody else getting better. But you know, he, he's got to get better moving, you know, especially laterally. You know, the, the one uh, thing that, that people will tell you about him is that he can move well in one direction, but he cannot change directions. He does not have good – he does not change directions very well uh, when he, once he starts moving one way. So that's something that he's really got to get better. He's got to get – again, he's got to get stronger. And so it, it's not going to be – it's about him getting in the gym, working on his game, working on his body, and really coming into training camp with the right mindset. And if he can do that – well, then all of a sudden it changes everything for what they can do as, as a basketball team moving forward. And again, it's a big season for him next year because he's becomes extension eligible after the season. And so he's got a chance to really set himself up. And I think, you know, as a team, um, they've got an opportunity, you know, just to see if he is part of the foundation. Because I think if you ask them, it's Jalen Green and it's Jabari Smith Jr. Those are the two foundational pieces that they have. It'll be whoever plus whoever they pick. Uh, with the lottery pick this year. And then after that, you have, you know, some openings. And I, I don't know exactly where Shingun fits there right now, but I, I know they I know they like him. They gave up a lot to get him. It's just a matter of can he do all the little things that you need him to do to play center in the NBA. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Yeah, I know I was just critical now, but I like him too, for the record. I like him a lot or just I enjoy watching him play. Even even with the flaws, I think it's a fun watch. It's an interesting watch because he's a very unique player. And I give I actually give Rafael Stone and his staff a lot of credit for for those picks. We've talked about that as well. The the middle of the first round, you know, trading up to get Shingun a couple of years ago, and then obviously just just picking uh, uh, Tari Eason where they did him him just being available to them. Uh, what was it seven seventeen? Yeah. Uh, 17 at 17. Uh, yeah, that that those to me are some of their uh, better, better value picks, I think. Um, so definitely like what's going on there. Let's move on to the NCAA tournament. I'm excited to watch it. And we're going to talk about some of the biggest storylines here. I'll just say for me that the storylines that I'm into are a little bit local, like the only national one, or I guess there are a couple of national ones that I'm, that I'm somewhat interested in. I, obviously the easy one is Alabama and they've got Brandon Miller. He's going to be a lottery pick. He could fall to or be available to the rock. Like he's an actual possibility for the Rockets, I think, uh, which is 
kind of interesting to even think about that you know trying to imagine how he would fit into into everything into the mix but just a, a super talented player but we all know what the story is there uh the the involvement or alleged involvement i guess you could say with a teammate uh, being charged with murder uh, a young woman was killed in a very uh, well populated area out there um uh, it, you know out there in, in tuscaloosa so um very 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 tragic situation there and, and he's continued to play and has played what is a, just a great player has played well uh and, and so them them obviously being one of the better teams being a number one seed is a major story but locally though those are where they, you know this is how i've consumed college basketball this year adam when the weekend hits or even in the in the middle of the week when when the teams are playing i'm looking to see who's houston playing and who is texas playing and beyond that i'm seeing what is the big 12 matchup today or tonight you know because that has been to me maybe the best probably the best college basketball conference this year um and i could be biased just because i've watched it the most uh but but that's where i'm at you know u of h is a number one seed in the midwest region uh texas obviously is a number two seed in the same region and, and the possibility that they could um end up duking it out for a shot to make it to the final four um now, and we'll get to that a little bit later i don't necessarily think that that's what's going to happen but uh but that's there uh kansas as a number one seed obviously bill self has dealt with some health issues lately but prior to that they they were an interesting team um uh, I, I thought at times inconsistent, but certainly a super talented team. I've watched a lot of all of the number one seeds from Purdue, uh, Alabama, Houston, and Kansas. What what are the biggest storylines for you for the tournament? Uh, first of all, with U of H, you have the possibility of Kelvin Sampson playing Indiana uh, in the Sweet 16 if both get through. Um, both uh, tough draws, I think, for both. Uh, we'll kind of get into to U of H uh, a little later. Uh, I, the Brandon Miller thing with Alabama is is fascinating, and I really think because he's going to have more eyes on him over the next three weeks than he will at any other point this season. And I, I think it's very possible. I don't know if it's likely, but I think it's possible that you will start to hear uh, Brandon Miller possibly work his way into the top two discussion. I'm not, he's not going to go over uh, Victor. I don't think anybody would draft him over Victor Wembanyama, but it would not surprise me if there are teams that wind up having Brandon Miller ahead of Scoot Henderson on their board. It is nothing against Henderson. It's just that Brandon Miller is really good. And if it weren't for the legal yeah. stuff that you talked about, I think that it would be even more of a conversation, but um, he really does not have any weaknesses on the floor right now. And, Again, he's going to have a ton of eyes on him. Whereas Scoot Henderson got shut down. You know, uh, the G League, uh, uh, the Ignite, they 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 said they're not going to play him, or it was reported that he's not going to play again this season. So it's an opportunity for a lot of eyes to be on Brandon Miller. Um, just looking through it, I I think this has an opportunity or a possibility to be a really bizarre first round. Um, the the the, four, the thirteen seeds and the twelve seeds are always really good, and it's. I think people kind of, you know, it always looks like a big upset, but it's not that the committee doesn't think that the 12 seeds and the 13 seeds are good. It's just that they don't have the wins. They're, they're unable to build up any sort of a resume just because they don't play enough good teams. You know, their conferences aren't very good. Like Oral Roberts is, is a really good team and they went on a tournament run a couple of years ago 
but they play in the Summit League, so they didn't play anybody. They went 18 and 0 in their league, and then they I think they won two or three uh, games in their conference championship. They haven't lost in forever, but again, they haven't beaten anybody, so it's hard to really get a feel for how good they are. Furman is a really good team. They're an experienced team as the 13 seed taking on Virginia. That's a team to watch. That little that little section, uh, I think that is the that's that's uh, Alabama's region in the South. I would not be surprised if you see the 12 and the 13 seed win. I would not be at all surprised to see Charleston beat San Diego State. Charleston is a really good high-powered offense. Uh, the Mountain West always underachieves in the NCAA tournament. Uh, I got burned by the Mountain West all last year. Um, did, so that's one thing to watch for. Uh, I'm really uh, the Big Ten. I love the Big Ten Conference. It's hard for me to say anything bad about the Big Ten Conference, but – I feel like I have to fade every Big Ten team just because the Big Ten is always underachieved in this tournament. And I'm going to say that, but also uh, U of H in the second round, you know, they might be matched up with Iowa. That's a that's a, that's not a fun matchup for anybody because Iowa has the ability to just shoot the lights out. And if you let them get hot, they can beat anyone on any given night and they are never out of a game. Um, then I look at, I think, Maybe I, I think there are two teams out west. Uh, UCLA, really good team, really solid defensively. I think I would have them in the final four, but Jalen Clark got hurt uh, in their last regular season game. That changes things, but I saw them over in the Pac 12 tournament. I thought they looked very good. And then Arizona, I think Arizona is really, really good. And that will be a terrific matchup. If you get Arizona and Alabama in the South Regional final, that's a great game. That might wind up being the best game of the tournament. Yeah, man, I'm I'm really fascinated. One that you didn't mention that I think is going to be good to watch is probably Maryland and West Virginia, uh, the 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 eight and nine matchup. Um, a couple of you mentioned you did mention Furman, um, which I I have I'm gonna be honest I have not watched a lot of, but the more that that I'm reading about it, and they have not uh, you know they they haven't been in the tournament in you know over forty years. Um, but you know they beat an SEC team, um, and they played well against Penn State uh, on a neutral at a neutral site as well. So I'm I'm actually just interested to watch them because that's one team that I haven't been able to watch a lot at all. Um, looking at these number one seeds though, Houston. Let, let me jump in. Oh, on, let me jump in on Furman because I I think there's yeah. one thing, and I'm going to throw in another team too in this mix. The COVID years. All these teams have played together for a really long time, and Furman is part of that mix because they all got all the extra years of eligibility due to COVID, and so they stayed together as a group. And Colgate is another one of those teams, and Colgate against Texas in the first round, that is a nightmarish matchup for Texas because Colgate is always in the tournament. This group has been together for a long time. As a team, they shoot 41% from three. So that, t- that team is more than capable of getting hot, and that's, that could really keep them in that game. So the, you have to look at the mid-majors. The, the group, the teams that have been together for a very long time are always very scary to play against. Well, since you mentioned that and, and you talked about Arizona earlier, I agree. Arizona is really good. They're obviously a, a, a number two C for a reason. Uh, but I, I'm interested to watch their match. I'm not predicting an upset in this one, but their matchup against, against Princeton who I think a lot of people would just shrug their shoulders at, and, and rightfully so. I mean, we're talking about Ivy League basketball. You wouldn't expect them to beat Arizona, and, I, and I'm not saying that I do, but they do have a legitimate NBA player on their team. Tosun, I'm not able to say pronounce his last name, but Tosun is the name. 
uh, is his first name. He uh, he's 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 a senior, 22 years old. He's probably gonna play again, six eight, uh, kind of like your sort of traditional college big, you know, six eight, not necessarily that big, but can do a lot of different things on the floor. A legitimate NBA prospect, um, and and not somebody that I think a lot of people have seen a lot of. Um, but I, I do wonder how that game is going to play out. There are a couple of I, I like your take that it, it has the potential to be a really interesting first round because I do think that the way it's seated and that the difference between some of these teams can be not necessarily negligible, but uh, but the way it's seated, there are some there are some matchups that are favorable to some lower seeds, uh, kind of like the ones that that, that we've already mentioned. Yeah, Princeton could be a tough matchup for Arizona because Arizona gives up a lot of threes and Princeton shoots it pretty well from out there. But if you let Arizona play at their pace, they are terrifying to play against because they've got size and their two bigs, uh, Balo and Tubelis, they can really get up and down the floor. And so that really, so it's not just the guards that can beat you with them. It's the bigs that really beat you. But Kirk Reese said the point guard is hurt and he hurt his shoulder and, you know, he had a wrap on it. He had to shoot a free throw with his offhand uh, in one of the Pac-12 tournament games. He did make a three. I think he made the three against Arizona State on Friday. So it kind of feels like he's a little healthier than maybe people think. But he got, he was hurt during the NCAA tournament last year also. And, and so he's a big difference maker for them. And, you know, he likes to shoot the ball. He's not a great shooter, uh, but he can either shoot them in a game or shoot them out of a game. Uh, but. Man, Arizona can just overwhelm you with just the way that they push pace because of, of the two bigs, uh, Umar Balo and uh, Azulis Tubelis. All right, so when you look at the South, where Alabama's the number one seed, just talked about Arizona, where they're the number two seed. Look at the East, Purdue. You're obviously really familiar with Purdue as uh, as an Indiana grad. Um, so that that's a rival, and that's obviously um, the number one seed in the East. And... Um, Let's see who's the oh and Marquette. Marquette's the number two seed over there. Then the Midwest Division, you've got Houston and Texas as your top seeds, and in the West we mentioned earlier Kansas, and this one is actually kind of interesting because you've got Kansas, UCLA, and Gonzaga, um, and I don't know if you would consider Gonzaga a blue blood at this point. You know they've forever been you know they were Cinderellas forever, and now. Now they feel like a blue blood because uh, of their consistency over the last however many years it's been. But but out of those uh, out of those roads, who do you think has the the toughest road to a championship? Uh, Purdue, and I, I don't think Purdue will get past the first weekend. Uh, I just I, I don't think it's a great team. Uh, I know they won the Big Ten regular season, they won the Big Ten tournament, but the guards I don't think are good enough and. Let's assume I think it'll be Memphis. I mean, we've seen Memphis now uh, quite a bit, and Memphis yeah. is really good. It's playing yeah. really good towards the end of the year. Um, they just uh, again, the American isn't very good, but they they played with U of H at Fertitta Center, and that was without Kendrick Davis. They almost had them beat at Memphis uh, last week, and then they finally beat them on Sunday without Marcus Sasser, and they dominated that game without Sasser. So um, they're they're really good. They're playing really well, and Purdue. The thing that worries me about Purdue, again, the guards I don't think are very good. I, I think the guards are much worse than they were last year, especially no Jaden Ivey. The guards are young. They rely so much on Zach Eady, and Eady's a unanimous All-American, and I think he's there's a good chance that he winds up as the uh, the player of the year. But 
he is very good at avoiding foul trouble. And I think that's been one of the more remarkable things about him this year because he's so big. Normally guys like that just are always in foul trouble. But he's not getting in foul trouble in the Big Ten because Big Ten referees know him. And they know exactly who he is. They know what he does. They know how he plays. But now you're going into the NCAA tournament and you might be getting officials from the Pac-12 or the SEC that have never seen you before. And so that's a little bit of a wild card. And if you get the wrong official on the wrong day, all of a sudden you're, you you pick up a bunch of fouls early in the game and maybe you only play 15 minutes. And if Edie is not playing 30 minutes or 25 minutes, you know, however many minutes, uh, it's going to be really tough for Purdue to score because – He's their presence inside. He gets them rebounds. He gets them easy points that way. He's a really good, he's turned into a really good free throw shooter. But Memphis is big enough to have the size to deal with them. Uh, they don't really rely on their bigs to score. So they can just throw a bunch of fouls at Edie. And then they can let DeAndre Williams and Kendrick Davis and Lomax take care of the offense. So I really think that Purdue, ha- I think Purdue loses the first weekend, especially if it's Memphis. And you look at the East, I'm telling you, the top of the East bracket is set up for Duke. Because Tennessee is hurt. That's a very weak number four seed. Duke is playing really well. So I think you might see Duke uh, get out of the East. I think that's probably the one, like, you know, the, the the team that's not seated within the top four in any of these regions. I think Duke is the one that's most live to, to go on a deep run here. Yeah, I'm looking at it and thinking that, that you know, if, if that upset were to happen, you know, if Memphis meets Purdue and beats Purdue, then you're talking about, you know, and then it, and if Duke makes makes it on its on its side, right, uh, to the Sweet mm-hmm. Sixteen, like that is an interesting matchup to me. And then then now I'm on upset alert for Memphis, you know. And I think I like Duke in that matchup, but depending on how those games go and how those teams look leading up to that, it, and again, this is a, a an extreme hypothetical here. We're looking talking about a couple of games in advance, but if we get there and depending on how things look. I think that's one that can get really interesting between, you know, how how's Memphis looking up against a against a blue blood like Duke, you know, obviously in his first year without Mike Krzyzewski. Yeah, and the bottom of the East is wide open also. Uh, I still don't totally buy Marquette. I know they've, they've had a really good year in the Big East. I don't totally buy them. I'm not a big believer in Kansas State. I just I've seen too many games with them where they just didn't look very good. Uh, the sixth seed is Kentucky. Kentucky has been very up and down this year. And then you go look at the 7-10, Michigan State and USC. Michigan State has been underwhelming most of the season. I just saw USC in person on Friday. They did not – or it was Thursday. Uh, they did not look very good uh, against Arizona State in that game. I know Drew Peterson didn't shoot the ball well in that game. But it, it's a – that, to me, the East is wide open. But I, I think it's setting up for a Marquette-Duke Elite Eight. All right, so this is the H-Town Hoops podcast. We cover the Rockets, but we're talking about the NCAA tournament now. U of H, the Cougars. Shout out to the Cougars, man. It's been an incredible run. Now they're a number one seed, getting the respect. And people have been talking about this team for a while now. Like this is this isn't like something that where they've snuck up on anybody. They've been they've been really good for a really long time now. Um number one not just the number one seed in the midwest but has been consistently throughout the year the number one team in the country uh at a lot of points um and certainly there at the end what do you think about the midwest and the cougars chances of first of all obviously making it to the final four out of the midwest and even winning it all what do you think about their chances 
I think so much of it depends on Sasser. And if Sasser is healthy, then I would say they are a favorite to get out of the Midwest. If he's not healthy, then it's going to be tough. And I think you saw it against Memphis. They struggle to score when he's not out there. And, you know, they don't necessarily always need him to score. You look up and down and they have guys who are capable of having big offensive games. We've seen it from Jarris Walker. We've seen it from Jawan Roberts. We've seen it from Jamal Shedd over the course of the season. But they can get a little loose with the basketball, too. And if it's one thing, this has not been, they're a good offensive rebounding team. This has not been one of their best offensive rebounding teams. And to me, that's the key for them. And uh, if, if, because they're not always going to shoot it well, but if they can at least get offensive rebounds, well, then that gives them the opportunity because it has a chance to get whoever they're playing in some foul trouble. Um, but it just hasn't been, and Calvin Sampson has even said, this is not one of his better offensive rebounding teams. I, I, I'm not sure where they stand exactly just in the nation in terms of offensive rebound rate, but it's not, it's very high. But I think that Kelvin Sampson would tell you it's not one of his better uh, teams in, in that department. But if they're loose with the basketball and they're turning it over, now you're not even getting a shot up at the rim to give yourself an opportunity to get an offensive rebound. And I do think they got a tough draw. Um Northern Kentucky, they'll have no trouble with um, in the first round, whether Sasser plays or he doesn't play. But Iowa and Auburn, whoever comes out of that game, and I think it'll probably be Iowa, even though I just kind of ripped the Big Ten, and I'm going to do it again here uh, in a second with the uh, with the the two teams, with the four and the five in, in this region. But Auburn has had a lot of tournament success, or I should say Bruce Pearl has had a lot of tur- tournament success going all the way back to when he was at Wisconsin-Milwaukee. He knows how to win these games. Uh, in this tournament. I don't think Auburn is real good. um, And I don't think they necessarily play all that smart a lot of times, but it's still not a team that you want to see. They were, I think they were in the top 10 at one point this season. And then you go to Iowa. Iowa is a terrifying team to play against because they're never out of a game. They can shoot the lights out. If you let them play at their pace, then it's not a fun team to play. Um, they have underwhelmed in this tournament year after year after year. And Fran McCaffrey might be insane. And he is, you, you almost start out with two free points whenever you play Iowa, because McCaffrey is going to get a technical at some point. So you go ahead and lock in those two points. He's going to, there's going to be a technical at some point on Fran McCaffrey, but they shoot threes. They push their pace. And if you're U of H and you play Iowa and you turn the ball over and you let them get out in transition, they are tough to beat. And without, and if Sasser is less than hundred percent, it's going to be hard to keep up with them from behind the three-point line because they're never out of a game. You saw it against Michigan State a couple of weeks ago where they were down, I think they were down 10 points with a minute to go, and they came back, sent the game to overtime, and they won it. They have shooters all over the place. Chris Murray is an NBA player. He's really good. Again, they underwhelm in this tournament, but it's but when they have expectations, that's when they underwhelm. When they don't have expectations, a lot of times that's when you see some of these teams play well and, and surprise some people. Iowa is capable. When they play their A game, they're capable of beating anyone. Yes. Yeah, so if, if if Iowa is a possible upset alert or, or a hurdle for for Houston, I'm curious of what you think of how things play out if Indiana makes it far enough to face Houston, if Houston makes it past Iowa, right? And it looks like that would be in the Sweet 16 with Houston and Indiana if if that and we and you mentioned that earlier uh, and obviously you're an indiana guy um and, and of course kelvin sampson that's his background where he coached um you know somewhat controversially right that's somewhat is is being very uh generous with it um but if that were to happen 
if that matchup were to manifest itself, how how would you see that one playing out? I I don't I I it's hard for me to see Indiana playing two straight good games to even get to that point. <laughs> so I, I'm not sure it would happen. But uh, for, it's a fascinating matchup just because of the U of H or because of the Indiana Calvin Sampson stuff. And it's been 15 years uh, since he got fired at Indiana for the NCAA stuff, which now it's technically the stuff that he got fired for is not even illegal uh, in the with the NCAA. But right. he still broke the rules. At the time. He, he still, you know, they were rules at the time he broke them. Whatever. It, it, that's, you know, that's from 15 years ago. Um, if Indiana does get to that game, Indiana could beat U of H and the one thing Indiana will go into that game and they will probably have the two best players on the floor. You have Trace Jackson Davis, who's an all American. You have Jalen Hood, the point guard who is a lottery pick and could wind up even going in the top 10. So if you're Indiana, you go into this game thinking, Hey, we have the two best players on the floor. We have the two best players on the floor. We can beat these guys, but Indiana doesn't always play, play smart. They don't always play well. Um, they the, the game against Penn State was really disappointing on Saturday, not being able to to get to the Big Ten to the uh, Big Ten championship game. They don't play well away from home. Um, and U of H, on the other hand, when they lost to Memphis on Sunday, that's the first time that they had lost away from home, which is I think is really impressive. I think that's one of the more impressive things that has that that you can say about U of H is that they play really well away from their home building. Indiana, it's the exact opposite. They do not play well away from home but it, it, that's that's a tough matchup for u of h if it is indiana because again indiana will have good players on the floor indiana shoots the ball really well from three that's been an issue for them the last two years they've really improved in that category of uh, this season they don't turn it over nearly as much as they have in the past and they have the big guys that can at least contain u of h on the offensive glass whether it's jackson davis whether it's race thompson uh, jordan renault these are, or excuse me, Malik Renault. These are guys who can at least keep them off the glass a little bit. So I, I think U of H did not get any favors uh, with this draw. Uh, Iowa or Auburn in the second round. Miami's really good if they're healthy. If if Miami's not healthy, Drake is a really good team and it's, it's an experienced team uh, that has an NBA player in Tucker DeVries. Um, that that group has been together for a long time as well. Um, and Kent State's not bad either. I don't think Kent State would be a team that could beat U of H. And they, although they did play U of H tough earlier this season, uh, I just don't think that they shoot it well enough to really challenge the Cougars. And I don't think they have the size to really challenge the Cougars. So um, I think that of the teams that are in that eight, I, I think Indiana would be the toughest matchup for U of H. All right. So I'm looking at the bottom of that division of that of that part there. And I know that locally, this has been talked about quite a bit ever since the brackets were announced that there's a possibility that Texas and Texas A&M, who, as we all know, don't really play each other in sports anymore since they, uh, you know, since the Aggies left for the SEC about a decade ago, decade plus ago. I mean, damn it. We're getting old, man. It's been over a decade since the, <laughs> since the Aggies went to the SEC. Good God. Anyway, uh, but... The, the point is they they have a, an opportunity to face each other with a chance to go to the Sweet 16. And this is one of the popular sort of takes that I've heard is that hey, A&M, the Aggies are going to upset, uh, going to upset Texas and they're going to be the ones to go to the Sweet 16. And that's going to be, you know, 
I even read one piece is like the Longhorns are going to they're going to make the Longhorns rethink their move to the SEC. And I'm like, yeah, that because that because that's going to be the thing that would uh, that would make them rethink it. It would would have to be like a (laughs) it would have to be like something that that says that the money isn't real or something like that. That would make them rethink their move to the SEC, you know, it'd be to something drastic like that. But what do you think about the possible Longhorn Aggie collision collision course to make it to the Sweet 16? Obviously, the big thing with Texas, um, you know, the, the Aggies have Buzz Williams and have been impressive ever since he got there. And the thing with with Texas is, of course, Chris Beard fired earlier this year after the domestic violence incident, I will call it, uh, or, or I don't even know if that's the right way to call it, the an issue, a domestic violence related allegation and incident that came up with his fiance and was fired and now is the guy at Ole Miss apparently um but Rodney Terry has taken over for them and the team Adam watching them and I watched this this is probably the team I watched the closest other than U of H they seem to have really rallied behind this guy they seem to to really like him a lot uh, on top of being just a talented roster or a talented talented group of guys um you know in addition to uh, DeSue and and uh, Carr and uh, and Allen, like they've got Serge Abari Rice coming off the bench, a Houston kid who I think is just like the the perfect six man. I really like watching him play. I and it's, it could be because I've watched more Texas than I have Texas A and M, but I don't see this upset happening. But I do think it's a fascinating matchup nonetheless. If it does end up end up happening. What do you think about a possible Texas Texas A and M collision course? Well, first they both got to win, and I think yeah, Colgate. Sure. Colgate's a very. I'll probably wind up. They'll probably beat Colgate by thirty, and I'll look like an idiot. But Colgate's a live team as a fifteen because again they played together for a long time. That group they shoot it really well from three. And Penn yep. State even is Penn State's a good team. And, yeah, I said yeah. I said on the radio today, Adam. Just for the record, I I this was this won't be my bold prediction. We'll do those in a second. But I did say just to kill this narrative to begin with, I did say that Penn State would beat A and M. So carry on. Yeah, Penn State is the type of team that's never out of a game, and that's big in this tournament because you could fall behind, but if you have the ability to make a bunch of shots, then all of a sudden you're back in games very quickly. And I've seen, I've seen that's why Penn State is in this is in this tournament to begin with because they have an ability to come back. They shoot the three really well. They've got a really crafty scorer in Jalen Pickett. That's a good team, and I know I said that I that you should probably fade every Big Ten team, and you know I'm probably going to go against that at some point. But uh, I, I do think A&M would beat Penn State, but I don't think that's an easy game for either of them. So I do think they'll both win their first round games, but I think both will be tough. I, I think that both will really have their hands full. Uh, Texas with Colgate and uh, and A&M with Penn State. I, I do think that Texas is just better. Um, I, I think that they're just a better offensive team. I, A&M is kind of confounding a lot of times. I'm, I'm not entirely sure how um, they are, where they are. And I know they've, they've had a really good year and they got to, they, they finished second in the SEC. They got to the SEC tournament. It, it's just, uh, they play hard. I, I think that's probably the big thing for them is that they always play hard. They're, they play pretty good defense also. Uh, I do think that Texas, if, if the matchup were to happen, I think Texas is better and part of it is just Marcus Carr I swear it feels like Marcus Carr has been in college for 10 years and uh, he's been been a really good player too you know starting at Pitt then going to Minnesota now at Texas I know he wasn't great uh, at Texas last year but he's had he's had a nice bounce back year for the Longhorns this year so I I would put I I would say if if the two teams were to meet I would say Texas beats Texas A&M 
Yeah, I, I'm with you there. Just to point out about Colgate and Penn State, though, right? Because, you know, we're talking about Texas and Texas A&M. And in order for that to happen, they've got to beat these teams. So th those are the teams that are standing in their way. I think it is worth worth mentioning or worth noting. Colgate apparently leads, I'm reading this, Colgate leads Division One yeah. in three-point shooting percentage, okay? 41 yeah, right at just under right at basically right at 41%. Yeah. So and, and they don't shoot it a lot, but that's a that is a high percentage and something to consider when you're talking about, you know, just the math of the game there. They're they are by percentage the best three-point shooting team in all of division one. And then Penn State is close to for what it's worth, close to the Big Ten, very close to the Big Ten single season record in threes total total threes this isn't percentage but total threes for the season so they shoot it at a high volume at a high clip that they be in penn state and colgate shoots it at a very high percentage the uh you know, penn state has 357 three-pointers on the season um and and they have a number of three-point shooters as we've as we've mentioned and talked about so uh so th so those are reasons if if you are a texas or Texas A&M fan uh, those are reasons and if you're just interested in the possibility of them meeting up you know if you're an objective observer in that way those are, are things to consider about the opponents that they have to face because you raise a, a really good point there Adam that they got to win first before we can even really have that conversation but those teams shoot it well from deep you know so that's it's something to consider something to, to, to watch out for before you even get there yeah and Colgate uh, you know, this is what we kind of talked about in the very beginning. A lot of these, you know, 15 seeds, 14 seeds, 13 seeds, 12 seeds, they are seated on that line, not because they aren't good teams. It's just they don't have the resumes and they don't play good teams. Uh, they don't play enough good teams. They don't get enough good wins. And that's where Colgate really uh, gets in trouble because Colgate went 20 and one. You include the Patriot League tournament. They went 20 and one in the conference. They did play good teams out of conference, but for the most part, they lost those games. They lost to Buffalo. They lost a close game to Buffalo, a decent team out of the MAC. They did beat Syracuse. Uh, Syracuse wasn't very good this year, but that was one of the wins that they had. Uh, they lost to Penn. They lost to Auburn. They got beat up pretty good by Auburn. They they lost a close game to Vermont. They lost to Cornell, who was a top four team in the Ivy League. Um, so again, they don't have the, they don't have the, the the schedule the strength of schedule that normally that you would want to see. Uh, and that's why they're seated at the 15 line. But again, it's a live team. Uh, they played Wisconsin. I think, yeah, they played Wisconsin tough in the first round last year. So it's a, uh, it's a dangerous team that again, if they get going with the three point shot, then all of a sudden you, you can dig, you can find yourself in a pretty big hole early in that game. If you're Texas, if you don't come out with the right energy. All right. So let's do our bowl predictions. I want to hear yours first um, because I've got one and I think it's a bold prediction. I just don't know how, <laughs> I just don't know how, how much I can say it with my chest, how confident I am in it. So I want to hear yours first. And then by the time you're done, I will have decided whether I'm going to share mine with the public. Uh, I have two. Um, and I already said the first one, Purdue will lose the second round. Yes. Purdue yes, that's right. Make it out of the first weekend. They will be the first number one seed to go down. And then I will say the other one is uh, 
the uh, the the four and five seeds in the South, San Diego State and Virginia, both lose in the first round. I think Charleston beats San Diego State and Furman beats Virginia. Okay. If you, if okay. you want me to go there, I'll go ahead and say it. Colgate beats beats Texas. Oh, I, all right. I see. I like that. I like that. That that to me is is really bold because obviously Texas is a number two seed. That would be a super upset. Um, and we talk about more so not really the 215, I guess. It's more of the 512, uh, the you know, the 512 matchup that everybody's sort of mindful of of hey, because it, it seems like most almost every year for the last 20 years or so, with the exception of a few, but it feels like almost every year a five beats a twelve. So to go with a fit, or I'm sorry, a twelve beats a five is what I'm trying to say there. But in this case, to go with a 15 over a two and Colgate beating Texas. And I, I don't know. That's bold to me because I really like Texas. think that, they, that they're that they carrying a, a quite a bit of momentum into this game. They're going to get Allen back, um, who did not play in the um, in the Big 12 tournament. So um, I think that's going to be a big deal for them. Mine, I feel like, OK, so that that's that's bolder than mine. Well, because, and remember, too, um, mm-hmm. a 15 seed has advanced past the has advanced to at least the sweet 16 in each of the last two years oral roberts did it in 2021 they beat ohio state in the first round and then they beat florida in the second round and then last year you had saint peter's as a 15 seed uh get all the way to the elite eight so there is some history now where you're starting to see the 15 seeds really start to have not just you know steal a game but they're able to make some runs in this tournament now all right my bold prediction is that tcu upsets Gonzaga and then upsets UCLA on top of that. And then they finally get knocked out by Kansas and uh, what would have to be, it looks like the elite eight, but prior to that, their, their side of the bracket where UCLA is a heavy favorite um, and not just a heavy favorite to win that part of the bracket, but to possibly go the distance. People think that this looks like a legitimate title team. Um, and of course, Gonzaga is Gonzaga. I'm picking TCU. It's a super athletic and disruptive team, a complicated team, a, an inconsistent team, but they can give you hell. And I know it's tournament time, but if they dictate the pace, if they're able to turn you over a little bit, if they are able to run out and transition, this is the best transition offense, I think, in the tournament and all of the country. Um, of course, you've got uh, you've got Mike Miles Jr. as uh, somebody that is kind of still getting back into a rhythm after having that knee injury that he hurt that he had earlier in the year. Um, but I, I, I think that this is a team that can be dangerous and not so, and, and not one that a lot of people are necessarily checking for. And honestly, I think it more than anything, it comes down to for UCLA, which is a great team. OK and Gonzaga, which is another great team. I don't think that they consistently face teams as good as the ones that TCU faces in the Big 12. And I think that's going to somewhat sort of sharpen them a little bit, uh, make them a little harder uh, to beat. And I've got TCU making it all the way to the Elite Eight before Kansas knocks them out. That's my bold prediction. All right, I, I'm I'm not with you on that one. 
it's they're they're bold for a reason because they're yes. they're probably they're probably not gonna happen. Yours though, I'll give you credit though, on Colgate. That's an interesting one because I think that, that would actually that's with the heart, not with the brain. No, nah, I think I, look, T, Texas is a better team, and that would obviously be yes. an upset. But but Colgate and the way they shoot threes, and I don't know, I like I think a lot of people have maybe a little bit unfairly assumed that that Texas is playing with a house money and them losing their coach is some sort of demerit on the team. Like they're so they're not as good because they don't have their actual head coach. But like I said, man, they rallied around Rodney Terry and they're a super talented team, man. And so they to me, I'm not going to say they're better off without Chris Beard, but they seem to be just fine to me. I, I, that does not feel like it has been a hurdle that they've had to overcome uh, considering how they rallied around Rodney Terry. So, you know, it, it, we'll, we'll see how that plays out. Yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. All right, man. Well, this was fun, man. Th those are our bold predictions. That's our analysis on the biggest storylines coming up in the tournament. We talked about the toughest road to the championship. And of course the Cougars as a number one seed, they're going to have some challenges, man. They're going to have some challenges on their side of the bracket whether it be Iowa, whether it be Indiana. Um, and, and obviously, like we just mentioned, Texas is in that is in the Midwest as well. We could get we didn't talk about this, really, but we could get I mean, if it's all chalk, right, if it's all chalk, we'll get a Houston, Texas Elite Eight, you know, or a Houston, Texas Elite Eight matchup with a shot to go to the final four and play in Houston, you know, to, which to me is significant. What's that? Big 12 preview. Yeah, and, and that too. That too. Uh, Big 12 preview. Um, I, I think it's going to be really cool to watch U of H compete, at least in basketball, in the Big 12 um, when that when that time comes. All right, y'all. So that's this edition of the H-Town Hoops podcast. Make sure that y'all are subscribing, rating, reviewing. Give us five stars. That is Adam Spillane. I am Brandon Scott. We appreciate Austin Mendez handling things behind the scenes. And until next time, y'all be good.